This is Illinois in Focus for the Center Square. I'm Cole Lauterbach. Coming up, we'll look ahead to whether schools will be offering in-person learning in the fall, a potential second shutdown due to a spike in COVID-19 cases in Illinois, several lawsuits challenging Governor J.B. Pritzker's executive orders, and the coming cash flow problems for the state of Illinois. And get commentary from Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb. But first, here's some of the top stories from the past week. Even though Illinois is facing a budget shortfall in the fiscal year that began this month, a budgetary analyst says the real pain will come when the borrowing is due the year after. Illinois lawmakers passed a budget that took effect this month that could be billions of dollars short because of extra spending and revenue shortfalls related to the pandemic. Ralph Martiri with the Center for Tax and Budget Accountability says the state is likely to see an $8 billion budget shortfall this year, but it also borrowed $5 billion from the Federal Reserve Bank and more to keep paying unemployed workers. He says those loans will come due in the following year. They're borrowing $5 billion under the federal program to to support expenditures this year where they don't have fi- they know they don't have 5 billion of the revenue so the unpaid bills at the end of this year are going to remain about the same as where they were last year last year they were 8.49 this year it'll be about 8.39 so roughly the same but then there's that 5 billion dollars in debt that the state incurred this year that it's using as quote unquote revenue this year that won't be there next year. So next year, starting with a revenue shortfall of over $13 billion. This will be made worse by a pension contribution that will be much higher to offset the market losses from the pandemic. Illinois lawmakers warned officials from Governor J.B. Pritzker's office to take back their ban on counties outside of Chicagoland, giving federal relief money to local businesses, or they'll suspend their rulemaking power. The Joint Committee on Administrative Rules is a bipartisan panel of lawmakers who review the finer points of state laws for best implementation. On Tuesday, they grilled the Department of Commerce and Economic Opportunity about their controversial emergency rule banning counties and municipalities outside the Chicago area from giving part of their federal relief money to local businesses. Senator John Curran said the intent of the law when it passed was not to punish businesses outside of Chicagoland by only having access to one stream of federal money. You're very um, vague. Is there something you can point to to assure this committee that your interpretation is correct of the legislative intent? I mean, you're you're making a broad, you're making a a very important limiting um, limitation for downstate communities in in fairness compared to communities that I represent, which were able uh, to offer direct economic stimulus program and those businesses that that were eligible to apply for my local grant programs are also eligible to apply for the, for the business interruption grant program. So they got two bites at the apple. You're limiting downstate communities to one bite at the apple. There seems to be an inequity there. I'd like to know that you actually have some, you know, co- concrete basis in your legislative interpretation. Comma Sharp with DCEO said the state would be on the hook for any money given out improperly. The overarching concern, or at least one of our major concerns, is making sure that the funds that are dispersed, we are not at a later date having to deal with the fact that those funds are now being disallowed and that the state is now on the hook to have to repay those. So when you mention 1,100 municipalities which may not opt into this particular situation, that's 1100 is still a lot for DCEO in and of itself to have to police and make sure that they are 
operating within the parameters that are set up by the Treasury. The agency promised to work with local officials on a compromise. The president of Leading Age Illinois, the second largest nursing home association in the country, is warning of complacency during the coronavirus pandemic. Kevin Bessler has this story. Karen Messer says although the rate of infections has flattened in Illinois, the danger to older adults has not passed. Just talking about the necessity of protecting older adults in those congregate settings and those that are you know, dealing with chronic conditions. Messer says leading age is urging Congress to allocate $100 billion in funding to help nursing homes and other providers to help protect older residents and clients. We're looking for to make sure that providers increase costs to serve these older adults and protect their staff that they are reimbursed because they'll go out of business. Leading Age also called for support of frontline workers with hazard pay, paid sick leave, and health care coverage. I'm Kevin Bessler. Illinois in Phase 4 of the governor's reopening plan is a stark contrast from where it was in Phase 3, according to an analysis of state restrictions. Consumer finance website WalletHub runs a bi-weekly measurement of COVID-19 restrictions comparing states across the country. In the first comparison of Illinois with other states since it entered the latest reopening phase, Illinois is now at 26th in terms of restrictions such as mask requirements and closure orders. WalletHub analyst Jill Gonzalez says the strict closure orders didn't make sense to maintain, so the state rightly began to loosen them. The restrictions were there for so long that health-wise, it was able to really see a drop in new cases, a drop in deaths. And because of that, it does make a little bit more sense to start reopening more. Uh, that being said, at the same time, you have states like Florida and Texas, which have now kind of rolled back on their restrictions. So they're, you know, almost swapping places with Illinois. The state essentially switched positions with Texas, which had to reclose many businesses after seeing increases in COVID-19 cases. At one point, Illinois had more restrictions than any other state. Illinois is seeing an increase in COVID-19 cases over the past week, leading some public health officials to warn about the importance of personal responsibility. The state is nowhere near the case count it had earlier in the pandemic, but the Illinois Department of Public Health announced more than 1,000 new cases for three consecutive days at the end of last week. Tom Hughes with the Illinois Public Health Association says he was the only one in a restaurant in Springfield taking precautions. I went to a, a restaurant Friday night, uh, Friday night fish fry, and I walked in. I'm the only person in the entire restaurant, including the servers. I'm the only person that had a mask. And that's exactly the wrong thing to be doing. It was in the Springfield area, yes. Mm -hmm. And so, so if we're going to tick up, it's it's again personal responsibility. I don't think it's anything that the that the governors or the the state uh, department of public health uh, any policies that they've changed. I think it goes back to having personal responsibility and following the guidelines. We can stay open if we follow the guidelines. And I don't think anybody wants to go backwards. He says many Illinoisans are suffering from fatigue when it comes to staying home and practicing measures like social distancing or wearing a mask. There is a fatigue. I think there's a, a whole lot of fatigue about a whole lot of things. Uh, that are going on right now. Uh, for whatever reason, some people, uh, masks became a political issue. 
And it's not a political issue. Wearing a mask is a public health issue. It's, it's, it's looking out for your family, looking out for your friends and your neighbors by wearing that mask. But for some reason, some people took it as a political issue. Um, and that's unfortunate. So I think there is, uh, we, we're now, what, four months into this? And we're by no means, we're by no means um, towards the end of this pandemic. But I think people are tired. I think we're in a political season that is wearing people out already. So there's a lot of things in people's lives right now. You know, their whole life has been disrupted by this, either by having to, to self-quarantine or and uh, uh, not being able to be in, in the workplace. And that's what, and I think all of this together is a real psychological burden uh, about changing the way we, we have been living. But Cole, if we don't adhere to the policies, we're going to end up right back where we were in March. The Illinois Department of Public Health reported 883 new cases Monday. Illinois' bowling alleys are one of the latest to cry foul over Governor J.B. Pritzker's rules that have left their industry with a bad rack. The Illinois State Bowling Proprietors Association, consisting of more than 180 bowling alleys across the state, filed suit in Lee County, saying Governor J.B. Pritzker can't unilaterally close businesses or restrict them after his original 30-day emergency declaration. Bill Brennan is the president of the ISBPA. He says many of their member bowling alleys have more than a dozen lanes, easily enough to have more than Pritzker's cap of 50 people without getting too close to one another. Well, most of our centers... uh encompass uh, large square footage areas so we can have uh, uh, plenty of people in the center safely and there'll be social distance uh, so we can really minimize the contact of group-to-group interaction uh, the way that the centers have set up now going into the COVID era here to protect not only our customers but our staff as well. Uh, so 50 people in each of those buildings look uh, drastically different. Uh, saying the 84 lanes center start us in Addison, if you put 50 people in there, you wouldn't find them for a week. Pritzker was asked about the lawsuit Tuesday. And I leave that to the scientists and the doctors to make decisions about. There's nothing political about, you know, a focus on one industry or another. It's just all about can we maintain safety and health guidance uh, in these kind of settings. The association says they've already spent more than $40,000 on protective equipment and training for their member alleys. Those are the top stories of the week. You can find more like this online at thecentersquare.com. Coming up for Illinois in Focus, commentary from Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb. This is Illinois in Focus. I'm Cole Lauterbach. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Illinois and Focus's Crosstalk segment. This is Chris Krug, publisher of The Center Square in Illinois, joined by my colleague and friend, Dan McCaleb, our executive editor. Dan, how are you? I'm doing fine, Chris. been quite a busy morning for me. Had some, some pretty big news drop. Yeah, it's Friday as we tape this, and um, we just learned that uh, the um, federal government has come to terms with uh, ComEd on a $200 million fine, which will, I believe, close out the corruption probe that's been open and ongoing there. Dan, what are the details? Yeah, so today the uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office um, issued a news release 
um, saying that um, as part of its ongoing um, corruption and bribery probe in the state of Illinois, uh, that uh, ComEd has agreed to pay a fine of $200 million, even for a company uh, as large as ComEd. Um, that's got to hurt. Uh, they're going to pay $200 million to end uh, the federal criminal investigation uh, into a bribery scheme in which ComEd um, was involved. Just as importantly, in the same, um, same release, uh, federal prosecutors issued a statement about a public official A um, that, if you read it closely, can only be um, one Speaker Michael Madigan. Uh, so uh, the speaker has been further implicated in this wide-sweeping uh, uh, federal corruption probe into Illinois uh, state and local government corruption. And um, if you don't mind, let me just read what the statement. Yeah, uh, I think says. The, I think the allegations are 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 relevant are relevant, and I mean it kind of starts to connect the dots and gives I think it would give people an idea of sort of exactly you know um, what the nature of the corruption. Quoting federal prosecutors here, or their, or their release anyway, quote, public official A controlled what measures were called for a vote in the Illinois House of Representatives and exerted a substantial influence over federal lawmakers concerning legislation affecting ComEd. The company admitted that it arranged for jobs and vendor, and vendor subcontracts for public official A's political allies and workers, even in instances where those people performed little or no work that they were purportedly hired by ComEd to perform, end quote. Were called for a vote in the Illinois House of Re Representatives and exerted substantial influence over fellow lawmakers concerning legislation affecting ComEd. That, that can only be one person, and that is Speaker Madigan. Yeah, and this is going to be very interesting. As a, you know, we noted, this is a breaking news story as, as we put this together on, on Friday morning. Uh, I think, you know, we certainly will have a comprehensive uh, coverage of this. Uh, as it unfolds uh, today over the weekend and certainly into next week, there's all sorts of ramifications to consider. And, um, you know, it's, uh, of course, it's, you know, it's a Friday news dump. God bless America. The, always the big news comes rolling out on Friday when maybe people aren't paying attention, but gee yeah. whiz, this is massive. We haven't talked about this in a long time amid COVID-19 and the economic restrictions that uh, led to millions of uh, people filing for unemployment claims. We've had other things to talk about and the feds uh, seem to quiet up, but just as a refresher, uh, uh, the feds have already charged uh, uh, several lawmakers and lobbyists and others uh, in this uh, uh, in this ongoing corruption probe, including uh, former state Senator uh, Martin S uh, Sandoval, who pleaded guilty to accepting bribes to protect a red light camera. Uh, he pleaded guilty in January. Uh, last year, back in the fall, in October, former state rep Louis Arroyo, a Democrat from Chicago, was charged with bribing an unnamed uh, state senator. Uh, state Senator Tom Cullerton was charged with embezzling from a, a labor union. He's pleaded not guilty. Um, and then federal investigators have also been um, uh, prying into Chicago, Chicago Alderman Ed Burks and other local officials' um, business. So this this was a huge story, you know, at the end of last year and in the beginning of this year, uh, COVID-19 and, and the business restrictions, um, the story sort of disappeared amidst that. But here today, um, it's back on. Yeah, and we'll and we will continue to follow this, and and again, you know, uh, make sure that you're clicking to thecentersquare.com uh, here in Illinois just to 
keep pace with uh, what should be uh, a fascinating story with more information to come. It's important to note that Madigan has not yet been charged with a crime. Very important uh, to but, note that. But he has been in in several of the uh, these uh, federal prosecutors' filings. He's been implicated uh, on a bunch of different levels. So we'll continue to follow this. And again, we invite everybody to to keep uh, keep up to date with what's going on within the state at thecentersquare.com. Uh, Dan, you know we are heading toward. Um, what appears to be the opening of the school year, um, it, not just, uh, you know, um, uh, like local schools, like, uh, you know, your elementary schools and, and your and your grade schools and whatnot, um, high schools, but uh, also colleges. And um, it looks as if uh, we will have school, in-person school, at least part of the time, um, subject to the local jurisdictions, so the local district uh, decisions on how to execute that. But it uh, appears that we are heading in that direction. Yeah, well, I was thankful. At least my school district um, is. I uh, I learned this week um, that my school is going to have a hybrid mar model, um, part in school, part remote learning, rotating kids in and out. Well, I, I, I'm I'm eagerly anticipating my district's plan. I suspect that I'm going to see something comparable to what you're talking about. Um, Tell us more about what this looks like in real life for you and your family. If anyone's been following it uh, across the country, a number of school districts um, have already said um, that they do not plan to start in school, so have, having students in school at the start of their school years. Milwaukee, uh, earlier this week, um, Milwaukee Public Schools said the, they're going to start the school year when it's scheduled to start, but the first 30 days at least are going to be all online uh, learning. No one is going to be attending school. The same thing for the two largest school districts in California, Los Angeles and San Diego. Which is why I opened with say I, I got a my daughter's school district's plan yesterday, and um, it still needs to be voted on by the full by the school board, um, but it's going to be sort of a hybrid uh, model. So uh, so some days your daughter's going to go, some days a classmate of hers will go. They'll sort of take turns for the in-person instruction, and they'll get online learning on the corresponding other yeah. day. Yeah, so so they're they're dividing the student population in half, um, depending on your uh, your last name. Group A will be in person on Tuesday and Thursday and every other Monday. Um, group B will be in per, uh, in person Wednesday and Friday and every other Monday. So mm -hmm. so some days or some weeks they'll go to, they'll be in the classroom uh two days a week some day, some weeks they'll be in the classroom um three days a week and it'll just flip back and forth um they all students my, my daughter is a going to be a senior this year um it, it, in high school um but my daughter's school district is high school only um so it's only ninth through 12th uh, grades um everyone will be required to wear a mask when they're in the school building uh teachers and students and and administrative staff all students and staff will be required to uh, have their temperature checked upon arrival in the morning that'll be interesting and then um the, the rotating uh schedule is to limit the number of people in each building Mm -hmm. uh, but teachers are going to be required to be at school um, every day. As you know, there are a lot of teachers unions across, 
across uh, the country and in Illinois who are pushing back on returning to school. Yep. Um, oh my uh, goodness. My Facebook feed is just on fire with the, uh, you know, uh, uh, people, friends, uh, family members that, you know, that I know from around the country. Uh, it almost looks orchestrated. Yeah. <laughs> <You> think? <laughs> uh, pretty sure it is. They're not great meme generators. They're they're not necessarily these people. I wouldn't say that they're the best graphic designers, uh, but yeah, they've um, they're really laying on the pressure uh, to the public about the the safety aspect for for teachers and um, really trying to. I mean, it's it really seems like there's uh, an abundance of caution or a considerable amount of concern or fear. Uh, about uh, from teachers about returning to the classroom, and, and I, I I can certainly understand that in teachers that have uh, underlying health conditions, other health conditions, or are approaching retirement age. But we've proven we, we've been doing this for four months now. We've proven that you know big box stores like Walmart um, uh, can host a lot of a lot of people at one time. Um, that there are safe ways to do this. And a lot of, and obviously a lot of different people. I mean, you think about, like I've I've never actually stood outside uh, of a Walmart and with a clicker, and you know, but I mean, it's a constant flow of people, literally from virtually every every imaginable demographic and age and and um, and whatnot. So yeah, I mean, if they can do it. Yeah. Why can't we? Why can't we execute this in schools? And some some prominent organizations have come out and said kids need to be in school. I mean, the American Academy of Pediatrics is yes. urging uh, the the reopening of schools. Um, U.S. Uh, uh, Education Secretary Betsy DeVos said children need to be be, be in schools. Um, the the impact of keeping kids at home. Um, for this long a period of time, that one they miss out on their education. It's and it's um, you know it's it's lower income families that suffer the most for sure uh, for, for for this remote learning, this online uh, only learning, um, and not to mention just the the mental and social skills they're they're losing out on the mental right. their mental the, the mental mental health uh, issues that come up, but also the social skills that they deteriorate now. So. so I'm okay with the hybrid model for the for the time being. I want my daughter uh, to to be in school um, at least part of the time, um, and the, the requirement also has that you know when she, even when she's not um, in the classroom on the days it's uh, she's remote learning, she has to be engaged with the classroom. Right, right, right. You know, I think it's in, and it's it's probably more critical for the the younger the younger students. I mean, um, you know the statistics have have shown over many many years that kids who don't learn how to read proficiency proficiently by the third grade um are the you know the highest percentage of kids who don't make it through high school so you know that k to 3 period is 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 absolutely critical and I mean, I have a, I have my youngest is in that, is in that, uh, is in that space, is in that demographic. And um, I will tell you that trying to get them to engage full time online, um, even with terrific access to technology, and we've got good, we have good, you know, good broadband internet, you know, in our home. Um, that was 
a disaster. I mean, an absolute disaster. And you think about the people, you know, like you had said, who rely on the school. And I mean, it's an imperfect solution to a very challenging problem, right? But I mean, you know, the, the reality of it is, is that school is where, you know, the, the, uh, the least capable of caring for themselves, the children who have the sort of the worst economic home circumstances. I mean, they're getting breakfast and lunch at school five days a week. And whether or not you're good with that or not good with that, taking that out of the equation is just, is just, is, is just brutal. I mean, it's just completely disruptive. And some school districts have attempted uh, uh, to keep the, those programs open, but you know, there are plenty of kids who are getting two meal who get two meals a day in school are, are hungry right now. Right. It's, it's sad. It's unfortunate. You, you, you said this is a challenging time, but there kids need to go back to school. Even if at the beginning, it's just this hybrid model, like my daughter's school, um, but they have to get back and they have to gradually get back to a normal schedule. Yeah, all kids are going to school all days of the week. Yeah, you know the one thing, and it, and it, I mean, it's good that there's a plan in place for your school district, and I'm still waiting for mine. I saw the survey results from our school district, and I thought that they were kind of interesting because, you know, you I mean, you think you know, I mean, you know, your your thoughts on things as an individual don't always necessarily line up with the thoughts of you know your neighbors and the other people that live in the community, but there were like sort of three segmentations for a response to this question. And it was, you know, how do you feel about your kids going back to school in person for learning this year? And uh, there was a, you know, a strongly want them to, there was a, yeah, I think I do um, with some conditions. And then there was one that, that basically said until there's a, you know, um, an effective treatment for COVID-19 that I don't. And the upper Two, the I want them to go for sure, and the, I'm pretty sure I want them to go represented 93% of the responses in, in my local school district. So only 7%. Um, and, you know, I would have to think that, that you know, the, the people that are answering in that space or uh, maybe have a child who has, you know, um, an underlying condition, you know, maybe a respiratory issue. Maybe there's a respiratory issue at home. Maybe there's a senior parent uh, or a, a senior grandparent or something in, in the home. Um, but the 93%, I mean, that made, that made sense. And it aligned, you know, absolutely with my thinking. I, I, I absolutely think that we have to get kids back into school. Um, but even if in this hybrid model, you know, and, and I mean, it's like not everything in society syncs up. So, you know, work remains unsettled for a lot of people. Um, I mean, in particular, if you're working in a white in a white collar job, um, you know, depending on whether or not you're publicly traded or you know you're in a large company where the 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 level of uh, exposure you know to litigation is even greater, there seems to be an abundance of care being taken there. It sounds to me like a lot of companies, bigger companies, are are planning on sending people back or having people come back to work. In some cases, not until later in the fall, or perhaps even into 2021. So it'll be really interesting to see for uh, people who are working maybe more service. I want to say call like blue collar jobs, but you know service workers, people who are working in retail environments, 
people who actually have to be physically present in, in, a, in a brick and mortar outside of their home, how they are going to manage that kind of a hybrid schedule, which I assume will be um, most common across the state. You know, back in the spring when schools were shut down in Illinois and elsewhere and, and they tried this r remote model. I mean, I, I feel for you and, and all parents of younger children, just how difficult that is on the parents who are trying to juggle work and helping their kids adjust to this online model. That's, that's just a, a, a very, very difficult uh, thing to do. Yeah. And even with a hi this hybrid model, you know, the parents of particularly of younger uh, younger age students um, are going to still have to figure out how to juggle uh, those res responsibilities. So I'm speaking uh, as a as a parent of uh, of a high school student mm -hmm. when I say I'm appreciative of this hybrid model um, uh, because some schools are saying they're not coming back at all. But I also have to uh, if your school district chooses a very similar model. I mean, you're going to have the same struggles uh, this fall as, as you did in the spring. Yeah. So um, uh, we're taping this on on uh, on on Thursday and um, uh, yesterday or Wednesday in Chicago, uh, Governor J.B. Pritzker uh, had a very much covid focused uh, news conference because uh, uh, case counts in Illinois, but more specifically in Chicago, um, are back on the rise. Now, they are not anywhere near what they were in March or April, where, I mean, it literally went off the, the deep end. Um, but that news conference, uh, the tonality of that news conference was really something else. I mean, talking about like, uh, you know, I don't know. It reminded me of a conversation that I might have had with like, you know, uh, my mother and father as a kid uh, in 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 a misstep situation where if I did it again, there was going to be heck to pay. And uh, he and and uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Ngazi uh, said, basically, um, look, if you don't get this under control, we're going to take a, we're going to take away. Uh, the things that we uh, added in in phase four. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't get to see the news conference, but I read our um, news story again, or I read our news story off of the conference, the press conference. And um, Governor Pritzker says he's going to close down bars and dining restaurant services um, again if if these numbers continue to rise. Even though the numbers, you know, are uh, have changed somewhat. The Illinois residents aged 20 to 44 make up the bulk of these new cases. Um, we know younger folks are less impacted uh, by COVID-19. It's the elderly and those folks who have other health conditions um, that are uh, most impacted by it. So, I mean, the impact of him shutting down parts of the economy again would, would just be, would be more devastating to the economy. U.S. Department of Labor, uh, uh, issued its new report, uh, uh, unemployment report this week, another 37,600 Illinois residents filed for unemployment benefits uh, in the week, last week, essentially, the week ending July 11th. Uh, Illinois had more than one, more than 1.4 million, almost 1.5 million uh, workers file for unemployment during mm -hmm. 
this pan this pandemic. Um, it, it's it, we can't shut down. We have to figure out how to live with this virus and move forward. Yes, take safety precautions. Um, maybe target individual bars if individual bars are um, um, not adhering to to guidelines. But to shut shut the entire industry down, to shut the, the entire restaurant industry down, to oh, dine yeah. in only that that doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. If, it does. It does. It absolutely doesn't. And I think it would create a level of upheaval uh, in the state of Illinois that would be greater than the level of upheaval upheaval that we have already seen. Um, I mean, I just spent the last uh, four or five days and just doing some uh, some traveling. Uh, went through the state and uh, and then out east and and I spent some time in in some bigger cities and some smaller towns and even at like a like sort of a, a lake community for a weekend. And here's what I saw. Uh, and, and I was in a couple of different states, just to be clear. Um, people adhering to the rules. Uh, I saw people, you know, that were appropriately social distancing, people wearing masks, even wearing masks at gas pumps. Um, people, you know, uh, following along and, and being good citizens. Now, of course, I also saw a handful of people that, that were not. But the people who were following, you know, sort of the, the guidelines with regard to masks and whatnot, they just steered clear of those people. I mean, they literally, I mean, you know, talking about like, you know, tr travel centers and, and, and things like that, or even even a restaurant with the, you know, with the diminished capacity or the capacity rules are in place, that if there was somebody in there who was potentially COVID positive and not wearing a mask, you could pretty easily navigate your way around the, the, those people. I mean, really, you, you, you can. It's... So, you know, I think that the underlying issue as it pertains to, to Illinois continues to be a Chicago problem. Um, like, you know, I hate to say like most things in Illinois, but this is a Chicago problem. You know, the, the, I referenced uh, on, a, on, on the podcast last week this, this really awful story that the Associated Press wrote at the beginning of July about uh, the protests and riots not having any contribute contributing, um, not being contributing factors to COVID spiking. Total baloney. Total baloney. I don't, I don't believe it. Makes absolutely no sense. It's illogical. Um, you know, people tightly packed in, you know, in places, you know, largely in cities, which is where these numbers are driving. Um, if you have the time to do it, I would strongly recommend taking a look at the cases in Illinois from the IDPH uh, website. Uh, by zip code. And you can very clearly see what communities are and what communities are not following the protocols and the practices. It's it's really, it's pretty simple. And, you know, I mean, in, in greater Chicago, it's a handful of zip codes in, in the city. Uh, it's Waukegan, it's Elgin, it's Cicero. It's just, you know what, it's not an overall fundamental uh, problem. So for any and all restaurant to be subject to an overarching rule, uh, like what is being threatened, like we will pull us back into phase three and we'll shut the restaurants down. I think there'll be a complete, at that point, a complete upheaval. And people will simply say, look, your executive orders, Governor Pritzker, were toothless to begin with. And and so what you know what we're not going to follow along. And you want to take our you want to take our licenses away, great. You know what? 
take my business away and I'll just move my business somewhere else. Or I'll, I'll do what so many of like the more mature business owners are doing, the people that are sort of, you know, not just getting started or not, you know, sort of mid-career. They're just going to just say, you know what? This is not a place for me to work anymore. I can take my concept. I can take what it is that I do and I can move it. And I will. I think we're going to start to see that. Well, yeah, even before the pandemic, there's plenty of examples of businesses um, moving their headquarters uh, somewhere else. But yeah, this this on again, off again thing, it's it would be outrageous. And it, there's no doubt there's already plenty of small business owners whose businesses are done because of the first round of, sh of lockdowns and shutdowns or whatever. We don't know the extreme, the, the absolute number um, yet, but that's all that information is going to come out eventually. Um, if he if he's to shut down restaurants and bars again across the state, many of them because of the capacity limits are barely breaking even as it is. If he's to shut them down again, there's no doubt that a large percentage of them will not come back. Yeah, I I, I agree with that. So somewhat lost in in you know in um, you know attempt at recovering from uh, COVID nineteen and the executive orders that that largely shut anything public down in the state um, is representative uh, Darren Bailey. Uh, he's a Republican from uh, Xenia, uh, Illinois. His lawsuit has kind of been like uh, punted around a little bit. Where, where is where, but it's, you know, I mean, for the benefit of people who are like, you know, I wasn't really following this in the first place, but this is still active and it, and it becomes maybe more relevant now in the, in the, in the wake of, 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 threats to uh, to close. So what's going on with uh, with uh, Representative Bailey's lawsuit? Just to rehash, Representative uh, Bailey filed a suit against the state over uh, its restrictions. Um, he won the case. Um, a, a judge ruled uh, July 2nd that um, any COVID-19 executive order from the governor's office beyond April 8th is invalid. And essentially what the, the state has been doing has been stalling um, in court. Uh, this week, att Attorney General Kwame Raoul, uh, who's representing Pritzker in the state, filed a brief asking for the, the Clay County Court judge um, to find uh, the count moot, saying that each executive order is, is different from the previous uh, executive order. It's it's essentially the first step to an appeal. The state is just trying to, to stall this thing uh, in court. Um, well, a court has already ruled that the governor's executive orders are, are um, unconstitutional. So what that means in the real world right now um, is um, uh, you, you probably should still follow certain guidelines. If, if the governor, um, though, does decide, for example, to shut down in-person in dining at restaurants and a restaurant still um, opens, um, uh, the, the, the ruling means um, – you probably won't face any of the um, uh, the fines or penalties um, if you're found to be uh, violating the, the governor's executive orders. Yeah. All that said, though, just just so we can hopefully, you know, the governor's proven that he's going to do what he wants to do, um, even if even if it has devastating impacts on the economies, uh, on the state's economy. So I I would encourage uh, restaurant owners, bar owners, all business owners to 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 follow the guidelines, make sure people are socially distancing when they can, make sure, you know, you obviously can't wear a mask while you're eating, um, but 
uh, technically you're with if you're with your family then uh, you're all right anyway at these diners follow these guidelines so the the governor doesn't feel it is necessary to follow through on his threats walmart oh go ahead no, you said walmart put the mask rule in uh, yeah. there's a handful of other national um chains that that you know that we suspect will follow suit um the vast majority of businesses that you would walk into have the sign it's just whether or not they're enforcing it and um i had uh, just a i was at a um uh, a chain pharmacy in um in pennsylvania and there was a mask order on um on the window and i just happened to be going somewhere with a a, a, a relative of mine and he recognized the fact like before we were going to you know we we're going to go to and get some breakfast and he's like, I forgot a mask. And I'm like, okay, so we're going to stop at this pharmacy. And I had a mask. So I'm going to walk in and buy a mask. So if you don't have a mask and you and you walk into a pharmacy, what do they do? I asked the guy this question. He goes, well, we're going to sell you a mask. And I said, well, what are you doing for people that walk in and don't have a mask? And he goes, we're not saying anything to them. Because the conflicts that, that, that these clerks are having with people who aren't wearing masks uh, is not worth the the brain damage or the, or the physical, the potential for a physical altercation. Um, you can't call the police uh, for every person who walks in and is belligerent about the mask thing. So, I mean, I, I think it does come down to some level of personal responsibility. This becomes a pretty easy uh, equation. If you were going to walk into a private business, even if even a, a public place that is a private business, um, you know, adhere to the rules. I mean, just, the, just the be, no be a good neighbor. Be, yeah, know, right, right, right. But it's interesting you mentioned the, the, the face mask rule. Uh, yesterday, Louisiana's attorney general, Louisiana has a similar mask rule in place by the governor there. And Louisiana's attorney general came out and said yesterday that uh, many of those restrictions, including the 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 one that requires mask wearing, um, is unconstitutional in Louisiana because you're essentially making these business owners, um, these business operators, these clerks at these businesses, de facto law enforcement, right? Because uh, because the restrictions require um, the stores to enforce uh, uh, the rules, and you know they, they, these people are, and you've seen the viral videos of people who refuse to wear a mask, and um, when they're asked to leave or asked to put a mask on, they go batish crazy over it. Well, you, these store clerks aren't trained to deal with those kinds no. of situations. No, and they're it not. Sh it shouldn't be their job. But and out of respect for, for eight, eight fifty or ten dollars, depending on where you are in the in the country, you know, an hour, whatever that clerk's being paid, uh, it's just not worth it. Right. Yeah. Please show some respect for me for your neighbors. Um, um, and and but at the same time, uh, these executive orders um, are nonsense. Yeah, agreed. And, you know, and, and, you know, it surfaced in Illinois. I mean, every, you know, we've got these broad stroke rules about, uh, about occupancy in, in, in rooms or, or in buildings. And, and, um, you know, it has nothing to do in, in, in large part with the physical capacity of the building. So you have the bowling alley industry, uh, now saying, Hey, um, you know, this is actually, the, there is such a thing, the Illinois State Bowling Proprietors Association. I mean, everybody has a sort of a, a lobbying uh, arm or a, an association. Every business really, I mean, it's get, it gets pretty granular because every business is unique and, you know, they have their own concerns. 
Well, you know, they're up in arms over the 50 person limit in a, in a bowling alley. Now, I don't know how long it's been, you know, bowling is not exactly, you know, sort of the, the hottest game going right now. Um, 50 people in the typical bowling alley, especially you think about like some of the bigger facilities that we have in the suburbs and even some in, you know, mid-state, downstate, these, you know, 20, 30 lane, you know, bowling emporiums, uh, 50 people in there is like uh, nothing. You know, I mean, it, you know, it's, well, it's particularly it's, when you include staff. I mean, right. You, 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 those bigger, those bigger, I, I've never, I, I go bowling about once a year or so. Um, I've never counted employees, but uh, there's a nice, uh, pretty big place down on Randall Road. And there's got to be 12, 15 employees. So you're talking about, you know, 35 people. Right. Uh, uh, and, and you can't, and you can't pay, you can't pay the bills on that. No. I mean, that's the big issue for the, for the, for the bowling alleys. I mean, it's like, if you have a staff of 10 people, you know, and, and you're paying them, let's say, you know, you're paying them $12 an hour. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a, you know, I mean, just straight costs. It's $120 to operate, you know, uh, to operate the bowling alley an, an hour minimum just for your staffing. And it doesn't count your electricity or any of your other, you know, any of your other, you know, actual costs. And I mean, what are we going to start charging people? $15 a game to bowl? I mean, you can just cancel the entire industry at that point. Right. Right. So, yeah, that's we're, we, we've sort of done, gone down these different these different paths. It's been a good conversation. But the, going back to the lawsuits. Yeah. So the the uh, State Bowling Proprietors Association uh, filed a lawsuit, uh, one of dozens and dozens and dozens of lawsuits that have filed against the governor's orders that are still working their way through the courts. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, uh, th this kind of leads into, you know, the, the, the bigger, broader problem. Why does this matter to Illinois, um, you know, beyond the public health issue, which I think at this point we all have a pretty good grasp. Um, you know, if you don't know somebody who's had COVID um, or a handful of people, you know, I mean, I think that the data shows you that this is, and history will remember it this way, this has been absolutely a, a horrible event, largely for the you know the, the the most the most vulnerable the least able to to deal with uh, with the viral uh, viral illnesses uh, respiratory uh, type illnesses uh, it's killed a lot of seniors in congregate care settings it's it's really been it's been brutal in that regard um, but you know by and large you know most most able bodied people I mean most an overwhelming percentage ninety nine Eight percent on the sort of on the uh, um, you know on the uh, on the low end uh, who have had COVID that get through it. Um, do, do they have problems ongoing afterwards? Well, we're going to have to see. But from a financial standpoint, you know, an economic standpoint, um, we're not even seeing what, what's really going to you know going to happen to Illinois and the consequences. We passed a budget that requires a ton. Of federal aid, a ton of federal aid. Um, but the Center Square Illinois reported this week that the budget problems actually could be worse than what we previously have been able to to determine uh, through access to public record. Yeah. So lawmakers, as a refresher, um, passed a budget this year that is the most expensive in the state's history in the middle of a pandemic. In the middle of these lockdown orders that shut down businesses, 
but 1.4, almost 1.5 million Illinois workers have been laid off at some point during the pandemic. That's going to lead to a significant decline in income taxes paid to the state. That's going to uh, that, that's already led to a significant decline in sales taxes because clothing stores, shoe stores, all those other stores um, have been closed uh, um, during the, the pandemic the pandemic, excuse me, but lawmakers, despite all that, knowing revenue was going to be down, um, passed the most expensive budget in the, in the state's history, knowing that they were going to have the money to pay for it. They've already said they're, they plan to borrow $5 billion from the Federal Reserve uh, Bank's uh, municipal liquidity facility just for this year's budget. Right. Um, but they're going to have to pay it back next year. So right. we're paying five billion. We're borrowing five billion dollars to get through this budget year. Next budget year, we're gonna have we're gonna have the same expenses and have to pay five billion dollars more on top of it because we have to pay that money back. Right. It's it's outrageous. There should have been there should have been furloughs. There should have been hiring freezes. There should have been layoffs if necessary. Um, Pritzker signed off on the union raises that the they went into effect on July first. Um, Nothing has been done about the pension crisis in this state. It, lawmakers are, are delinquent in their jobs. Well, and, and, and yeah, I mean, this is all like sort of tracking into um, this push for the progressive income tax, you know, I mean, which is going to be on ballots, you know, this, this fall. I mean, it's like, here's the reality. You know, if the progressive income tax passes and, and they and they taxed, you know, the, 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 the wealthiest, and uh, and then you know went down a couple of stratas to like middle class people, which is the reality for the for the way that this is going to work. Um, the people on the lowest end are going to save like I think on average like six dollars, you know, based on on data that that we've seen and that we've reported. But if they took the personal income tax, um, you know, uh, on earnings in the state. And they took it up to to twenty percent, which would be outrageous, right? Like literally two times the size of of uh, of tax levied elsewhere in the country. They still couldn't get out of the hole that they're in. It's a spending issue. It has always been a spending issue in Illinois, and you know you would think based on the amount of money that Illinoisans have paid into the state that we would have like something better than what we have. You know, Chicago shouldn't be the mess that it is. It shouldn't be the shooting gallery that it has become. The suburbs, mid-sized uh, cities and towns, small towns in the state, it should look like Perfectville with the amount of, of taxation that, we've all, that, we're already, that we're already subjected to. The reality of it is if they ratchet this thing up, if this progressive income tax you know, which they call a fair tax. I don't know to whom it's fair. Um, and in their latest marketing, they're talking about it in this terms. Well, the federal government does it like this, and so do most other states. We need to step up. You know what? No, we need to take a step back. I mean, if if we think that following along with 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 other states is the way to go, and that and that Illinois is a follower and not a, and is a follower state and not a leader state, then that's. I mean, it's indicative of a huge huge disconnect that 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 our state has with the kind of state that it could or should be um 
we've had we've had two income tax uh, increases in the state in the past 10 years both times lawmakers uh, said this was the solution um, to get our pensions systems under control to get our state's finances under control that neither time did that happen um, it's not, not even close happen. not even close not even close billions of dollars of uh, spending on top of what revenues come in this is this is not going to be the solution either yeah so i mean as far as it goes with you know with with what the experts are saying about federal aid which would be part of the uh, way that we get to the number of course they've also you know governor pritzker's uh 21 budget actually includes revenue does it not from the progressive income tax presumptively um that plus additional federal aid now that we're you know sort of you know toggling to whatever is next in this pandemic um are we gonna i mean is that realistic i mean does the federal government have the capacity to to bail out a state like illinois it's got there are plenty of other states that haven't been particularly well managed in the united states either um and then well, we had, a, we had a story at the centersquare.com this week uh, that the federal budget deficit in June, in June, uh, almost a trillion dollars and about uh, $900 billion was more than the federal budget deficit um, in all of 2018. This is a bad year for federal taxpayers um, because of the CARES Act and because of, uh, um, you know, these other measures uh, that have put in place to bail out states. Uh, through the COVID-19 pandemic, um, the federal government cannot, federal taxpayers cannot afford these kind of bailouts. But just, but there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure on Congress and and and, and whatnot. If the federal government does decide to bail out uh, these states, there needs to be conditions on them. It needs to be conditional upon, in Illinois, for certain pension reform. Um, Illinois tax, our pensions are $140 billion underfunded. Um, future taxpayers um, are going to have to pay for that. Uh, fully, almost fully, 25% of the state's budget is just to go to pay these pensions, to, to pay for services that aren't happening. because In the current year. In the current year. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a 25%, so a quarter of every dollar goes to maintenance of, pa of past commitments. Yeah. And, and that's what the Pritzkers of the world are hoping the federal government will bail out. Well, if Congress does cave to an extent and um, decides to help states out with their fight for, for decades of financial irresponsibility, it needs to come with conditions. There need to be strings attached. Um, uh, in Illinois, that the biggest string would be pension reform. Yeah. Um, fix your pension reform and the 3% cost of living increase every year, um, tie it to the uh, rate of inflation, do what you got to do to make those pensions more affordable to Illinois taxpayers. Yeah. I mean, it, and, and I, I, it's, that is like the golden goose, you know, really. I mean, it's just, uh, so, um, census, U.S. census is going on. Uh, as you might expect, um, and, and, you know, forgive me if this sounds like a recurring theme, state of Illinois overall, you know, not doing um, so badly with regard to turning census information in. However, the cities, Chicago, most prominent among them, uh, doing a very bad job with regard to getting census data turned in. 
And so now we're in a full court press to get census numbers uh, turned in, put in. I filled out my census form. It came to my house. It took me, and I, you know, Dan, I, I feel like I'm pretty busy. Like I got, I have, uh, you know, things going on. Uh, kids, I got to pay bills, you know. Um, of course, I have a job. Um, my job didn't stop, you know, during the pandemic. Uh, I think it took me six minutes to fill it out. You know, I've got I've got a pretty full household. I filled out a lot of lines of information. I think it took me six minutes. I, I did it a couple months ago. I didn't uh, time myself, but it was it was a breeze. Um, uh, no problem. Uh, so um, I, I did it online. I think you said you did it uh, on the. Paper I just did it on the paper got, form and threw it and threw it right through. back in the mailbox. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You can it's, you can easily do it online. You just need to have um, you know the code number that uh, they get that they sent you in the mail or whatever, please do it. If there's a dramatic undercount in Illinois, uh, one, a couple of things, how, this is how the census impacts us, right? Um, the federal government sends money back to states based on population. Uh, so if there's a significant undercount in Illinois, um, there's a significant uh, amount of money that will not return to Illinois. Um, the other, we already know we're going to lose at least one congressional seat. So we're going to lose a representative in Congress, it's possible we lose two. That means we have less influence over what uh, uh, over what happens in Washington D.C. Um, so if there's a dramatic undercount, um, chances are we will lose two congressional seats, which means we have two fewer representatives um, in Washington D.C. fighting for Illinois' interests. Please fill out. Please fill out the census. Yeah, it's really it's really simple, and it becomes a matter of personal responsibility. I mean, it's just. Uh, you know, it's like we have these things, you know, you know, in our our, our planning meeting prior to doing uh, Illinois and Focus's crosstalk segment. And there are some that I'll write down on the sheet. And I'm like, I, I can't believe that we have to talk about this. You know, it's just so it's so stupid. It's it's so absolutely stupid. And how do you not have six minutes? I mean, honest to goodness. Right. right. How, how do you not have six minutes? What are you doing that's so important that you can't take the time to, to do this? I just, it's just, it's so dumb. Dan, I think we've run our course uh, for, for the day. Uh, always good to talk with you. Uh, any parting shots? Any uh, any last thoughts? Uh, a recurring theme during the pandemic is, are we finally going to get baseball in a, what is it, about a week and a half? Yep. I mean, the, the season's going to start on the 23rd of July. Um, I've been so starved for watching baseball. I've been watching inner or inner squad scrimmages uh, with no play-by-play -play, um, shot from the upper deck of different ballparks um, just to kind of see something other than, you know, whatever trash is on Netflix. Um, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. You and me I'm both. all in. You and me both. So, all right. Well, baseball, we'll have that to talk about next week. Um, the news doesn't stop. Uh, for Dan McCaleb, it's been Chris Krug. You've been listening to the Illinois in Focus crosstalk segment. Now over to Cole Lauterbach with a look at what the Center Square, Illinois, will be working on next week.
Next week, we'll discuss Governor J.B. Pritzker's comments about other states being to blame for Illinois' spike in COVID-19 cases, whether public school teacher unions will win their fight to keep classrooms virtual this fall, guidance to keep your pets and kids safe from the summer heat, and get an update on how Illinois and Chicago are doing in their campaigns for a full census response and what it means for the state budget as well as some vital hospital equipment in the fight against COVID-19 being broken down and unable to be fixed due to state laws. This has been Illinois in Focus. Find more stories and commentary online at thecentersquare.com. I'm Cole Lauterbach.